Thank you, Gary, for that beautiful job with a great old hymn. Where could I go but to the Lord? And, of course, the answer is there's nowhere else to turn, is there? And there's no need for anywhere else to turn because Jesus is there for us and can provide exactly what we need. Look at Mark chapter 10 tonight. We're going to take a look at this passage for a while together. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. And see greatness in the eyes of the Lord. What makes a person great in the eyes of God? People seek to find uh, uh, acclaim and accomplishment. Uh, Everybody likes to be praised. Well, what is it that God will look at your life or my life and think that's greatness? Greatness in that person's life. This passage of Scripture helps us to see from God's perspective what it truly means to be great. In what Jesus said and what he did uh, before his disciples, we see that what is great in his eyes is not necessarily what is considered great in the eyes of this world. And sometimes it's exactly the opposite. Follow with me as I read Mark 10, beginning at verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John. Now understand right after he says this. Verse 35. Then James and John the sons of Zebedee came to him saying teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. 
But whomever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We see from what happens in this exchange that greatness in the eyes of the Lord requires sacrifice, sacrifice. And Jesus embodies that himself. He did that himself. And if you look in verses 32 to 34, we have an incredibly detailed statement here by Jesus before he ever went to Jerusalem and was arrested and endured all the things leading up to the cross. He gives a just almost a blow-by-blow account here in a short paragraph of what was going to happen. This is perhaps the most detailed statement by Jesus ahead of time of what would happen that week that we called the Passion Week, the week of his arrest and betrayal and all the trials that he went through and then, of course, the horrific scourging and then dying on the cross leading up to the great resurrection from the dead. Sacrifice. Jesus tells them that he's going to sacrifice. He's going to, uh, in his own life, experience these horrific things, all for the purpose that he might bring eternal life to those who believe in him. The disciples were struggling With who is Jesus exactly? They certainly knew he had great power from his miracles. They knew that he had the power to do what no one else could do. And right on the heels of this statement of Jesus, of what was going to happen to him. I mean, imagine how sobering that would be to hear Jesus say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I will be mocked. I'll be spit upon. I'm going to be scourged. They're going to kill me. And the third day I'll rise again. Right on the heels of that, it's like James and John didn't hear a thing he said. They were in their own little world. They were focused on what they wanted. In fact, in verse 35, it says, The sons of Zebedee came to him saying, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What a statement of human nature. I mean, that's it. That's us. That's human beings in a nutshell. God, we want. God, I want. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. That describes describes the religious faith of a whole lot of people. For many people, God is nothing more than that. And all that they do is to try to coerce God or convince God or force God in some fashion or way to do exactly that. Do what I want you to do for me, God. Do whatever we ask. That's kind of reversed of what it ought to be, right? Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do. 
but that's not what they said. Now, you know, before we get too hard on the disciples, you know, this was still in process, right? I mean, they hadn't seen everything unfold. If anything, bless our hearts, right? I mean, look at us. We've got the whole story, and we still get it screwed up a lot of the time. They were still in the middle of the story unfolding. Even though Jesus had made this statement, you know, that it's difficult for them to process all of that before it even happened. But yet he had made this very, very sobering statement of what was going to happen to him. And they didn't, it's like it didn't matter to them. Their own agenda is what mattered. And too often we can come to God not wanting to get ourselves aligned with what he wants, but trying to make God align himself with what we want. And that's always a bad place to be. It never ends well. Because God's not going to change in his very nature and in his ultimate plan. It's not going to be altered based on what we demand of him. He is sensitive to us. He hears our prayers. His heart, it can be moved. But yet, he's still going to do what's best. And we have to trust him in that. Jesus, though, exemplifies this thing of sacrifice. He said, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to lay myself on the altar for you. We know that in simply coming, he sacrificed. He left heaven and came to earth. And that in and of itself was a tremendous sacrifice. And Philippians 2, of course, uh, and 6 through 8 and following, is that great passage of how he emptied himself of all of what, all the, uh, the glory of heaven to take on human flesh. He didn't empty himself of being God. He was God Fully God, fully man in the same person. But yet he came and humbled himself so that he could deal with the problem of sin. So that he could become sin for us. We are also called to sacrifice. To lay our lives down before the master and to let him use us. For his glory. Now Matthew 20 verses 20 and 21 also gives this account. And it, it adds a detail and makes it even more pathetic. The whole thing, the whole scene more pathetic. Because their mother accompanied them and spoke first in the Matthew 20 account. Asking this of Jesus. So James and John come and their mother asking Jesus when he comes into his glory, and of course I think they're thinking of an earthly kingdom. They thought, well, look at all this power Jesus had. It's just a matter of time. He's going to set up an earthly kingdom. He's going to be greater than King David was. And we want to get in. We want to be a part of that power. We want to be on the inner circle. So, Jesus, please let my boys, one sit on your right hand and one on the left and you know, and then they they chimed in along with that, too. They reiterated what their mother asked for. John MacArthur said, ignoring the Lord's repeated instruction that he was going to Jerusalem to die, 
the disciples still thought the physical manifestation of the kingdom was about to appear and were busy maneuvering for the place of prominence in it. James and John are mentioned here, but later it says the other disciples were very displeased with them. Now, maybe because they thought they were way out of line or maybe because they didn't want them to get a greater position than they were going to get. The focus was not where it should have been. Because greatness in the eyes of the Lord is not about how high a seat you sit in. And Jesus makes that abundantly clear. It's about how much are you willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God, for the cause, for the plan of God. Greatness takes service too. Jesus is our example of service. He taught it. He lived it. He did it. And he calls on us to serve. I have to say, unfortunately, even among Christians and sometimes Christian leaders, uh, there's an awful lot of uh, pride. There's an awful lot of seeking position and recognition and acclaim and sometimes uh, people sound a lot more like James and John here than they sound like Jesus. And that should not be so. We as followers of Christ, it's not about us. It's about him. And we need to humble ourselves before God and be willing to sacrifice, be willing to serve. We're called to service. Because if we're followers of Jesus, that's the example that he gave to us. Jesus says to them, when they say they want this great position of authority, you don't know what you ask. And then he said to them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? He's not talking about water baptism there. He's talking about the suffering that he was about to endure, the cup of suffering, and to be baptized with this great responsibility to lay down his life so that we might have life. He's saying to them, Are you really, do you really know what you're asking me? They were asking for a high and exalted position of ease and comfort and power and authority. That's what they thought was coming. But Jesus is saying, that's not the kind of cup I'm about to drink. That's not the kind of, of kingdom that I am going to bring. He was going to bring a kingdom in the hearts of those who believe in him. Based on what he was about to do. And that was to lay down his life. To pay for our sin. Greatness in the eyes of the Lord requires selflessness, not selfishness. They were displaying a, a selfish motivation, and Jesus was the exact opposite. He was displaying selflessness. He was coming not to do what he needed, but what we needed, to put others first and to give his life for us. He calls us to be selfless. And that is the example that we have from him. How can we be selfless? Well, don't call attention to yourself. Don't put your 
comfort and your ease and your position first. Put what is needed for the glory of God, for the expansion of the kingdom of God, and for the salvation of others. That should come first. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to in the life that we live. Lifting up Christ that others might come to know him. Godly greatness is different than greatness in the world's eyes. You see it no more clearly than right here in verses 43 and 44. He, Jesus, uses two Greek words for service here. The first is diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. Verse 43, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Servant, the word diakonos. It's a word that means to wait on tables, to serve others. Not to be served, but to be one who is serving. That's greatness in the eyes of God. And that is what he says. If you would be great, become a servant. Wait on others. Let God use you to be his blessing in the lives of other people. And then he uses a second word in verse 44. It's the word doulos, which is a word for slave. Not just to wait on others, but to be a slave. To be, to be willing to humble yourself to that extent. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. So he uses two very strong words here to say greatness is about selflessness. And that is the opposite of what many in our world would say. Too many in our world are like he describes there in verse 42. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles do what? Are they servants? Are they willing to be a slave? No, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. We've all experienced somebody like that, right? Someone who gets a little bit of authority and they, they, can't, they can't handle it. And that's where we use that phrase often. Oh, he lords it over everybody, right? To get just a little bit of power or position or authority and it goes to their head, we say. And they lord it over people. In other words, they, they just make people miserable because they just try to grind people into the dirt. They try to, to use people to get everything they can out of them. They give nothing. That is not greatness in the eyes of God. Now, you may be in a position where you have authority over people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But use that authority the way God wants you to. Be just. Be kind. Do all that you can to help people, to be a blessing, using the authority you have in the way that God would have you to use it. Jesus certainly had great authority, didn't he? He had authority over everything. And yet he came to be a servant. And he used that authority to bring life for those who needed it so very much. Godly greatness is different 
than greatness in the eyes of the world. Sometimes even the world recognizes this. Once in a while, you'll hear a story about somebody who treats people well and is a servant, a servant leader. Sometimes you hear the phrase used. So sometimes even the world is impressed by this. But it's not, it's not natural. It's something that God would produce in us. To be a servant of all. And of course, godly greatness has a different purpose too. It's not just to be a servant. But to the, the end that people come to know Christ. To the end that people are saved. To the end that people grow in their faith. Because Jesus states that in verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We need to remember that. So many times we are asking, what can people do for me? What have people done for me lately? And sometimes we even have a pity party about that. Well, I think that, I think those people should have called me or those people should have done this or they should have done that. You know what? Maybe they should have. Because we are supposed to be a servant. But that's not our, that shouldn't be our aim. That shouldn't be our focus. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There's the the ultimate goal, the service that Jesus gave, the sacrifice that he gave was so that we might have life. And that's what distinguishes Christian service from all other kinds of service. We want people not just to have, you know, a good life or to ease their pain as good as those things are. We want them to come to know the Lord Jesus. We want them to find life, real life, eternal life through what Christ has done. To give his life, it says, a ransom for many. Ransom refers to the price paid to free a slave or a prisoner. And it says to give his life a ransom for, in behalf of, in the place of many. So when Jesus went to the cross, he did that in our place to to buy us back. He paid a ransom for us. To buy us back from sin and death and hell. Now, this is not a ransom that was paid to Satan, but it was a ransom to satisfy the justice, the wrath of God, the Father. Because our sin is against God. And something had to be done to bridge that gap, to bring us together with God. And so Jesus died to pay for our sin. So that once and for all, sin would not be between us and God. We could have a relationship with God through this ransom paid by the blood of Christ. This is uh, really alluding to what is sometimes is called the substitutionary atonement of Christ. That he was my substitute, he took my place. To pay for my sin. And in fact the scripture says. He became sin. For us. Our sin. On the cross. 
he became sin to pay that awful price. Only he could do it, and he did it because he loved us. And so Jesus, the greatest example of sacrifice and service, and so when we begin to wonder about our own lives or the lives of other people, we need to remember what is our example? Who is our example? It's Jesus. We don't need to compare ourselves to anybody else. We need to ask ourselves, are we willing to serve the way Jesus served us? And that's what we're called to. Greatness in the eyes of the Lord. Service, sacrifice, following the example set by the Master Himself. Let's be great. Great in the eyes of the Lord. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for what you did for us. That you were willing to bear so much shame and suffering and lay down your life, not thinking about yourself, your own comfort, your own majesty or glory, but simply doing what was needed so that we could have life. Lord, help us to be willing Thankful for your grace and mercy and your forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to be willing to serve others in your behalf. Letting you use our lives to be a, a servant to those around us. So that they might come to know your love and mercy and grace. If there are decisions we need to make here tonight, we pray in this time of invitation now you would lead us. And Lord, when we leave here, may the commitments of our heart reflect lives that are truly submitted to you. And we pray that you will be glorified in each of us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.